Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. So when we come to the Bible, this amazing resource book that we have for us, I don't know about you, but I think we sometimes, or I know for myself, tend to have those go-to verses or passages or books, right? Those, those passages that we always glean from, they're on the tip of our tongue and we can quote them and we, can, we just always, we hold on to these verses and passages. And the, the Bible is amazing because you've got the New Testament, which is written in what I would say is a more accessible and understandable language. And as well, we see the early church is birthed and um, where we get instruction for how you and I are to be the church, to represent God in this world. In the Old Testament, it, ha- it holds historic significance. It relays where it all began, but it also points to the coming Savior, the promise that was given. And it also shows us God's chosen nation, Israel, that would reflect his way to other nations, to be a light, be a nation that resembled him to others. Now, in weighing up what to share, I once, would, I once again was compelled to go to a portion of scripture that we may actually not be familiar with. Because it's something that I've actually, since I've given my life to God, 16 years, 17 years since I gave my life to God, I've never once heard a message spoken on this portion of scripture. And I, again, I was weighing up, and I felt compelled to once again draw from the minor prophets. Today, we're going to be looking at Obadiah together. How many of you have read Obadiah? Quite a few hands. How many of you remember the message of Obadiah? There we go. We may have read it, but we remember it. Today, we're going to be looking at Obadiah. I have no idea why the minor prophets have been in my heart lately. I've shared a few messages. I shared on Haggai, which, which was uh, almost like the stepping stone to our series that we did on First Things First last year, even in Life Group. And even in, um, I brought a one-off message on the prophet Habakkuk as well. And once again, I was weighing it up, and I was like, God, why are you putting on my heart? Go to the minor prophets. And then Obadiah just came out before me. I know it can be quite difficult to read and understand the words that these prophets wrote, mainly because the language always seems to be one full of doom, doesn't it? Doom and judgment, and it's like very heavy, and it can sometimes be like, I have no idea what you're on, God. I have no idea what you're saying. And I don't know what I can take from this. However, if we look at the other side of that message, it can be a message of hope and challenge and reassurance to God's people. It's understanding God's desire on the other side of what he's giving a message of judgment or correction for. If God's giving correction, there's something that needs to be, a, to be followed, correct? And so today, we are going to read Obadiah in its entirety. 
the excitement in the room is something to behold. It is 21 verses. That is it. So we're going to, and if you, if you have it in your Bible, it may actually take up one page in your Bible. It's after Amos. It's before Jonah. On my Bible, it's page 200, uh, 725. It may be a different page in yours. But I have written it up on a PowerPoint for us all to follow as well, just to help us all. So we're going to read the message of Obadiah. And then my hope is that I'll be able to bring about some encouragement for us, some message that will help us in our walk with God together. So, Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nation to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. Again, not very encouraging words here at the moment. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If great pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those that eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Eden, men of understanding, in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Timan, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On that day, you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You should not look down on your, border, on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, fugitives nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company 
of Israel, of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Serapheth. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Wow. There's a lot of heavy language in Obadiah's message, isn't there? Now, his word here was one of judgment, wasn't it? But it was to a specific people. It was to the people, the Edomites, for helping the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem. He was announcing the coming divine judgment of the Lord, but also gave the Israelites hope by reminding them of the future that God had promised them. Obadiah was revealing the culmination of sibling rivalry. These nations were birthed. You have Jacob, who represents Israel, and have Esau, who represents the Edomites. Now, when we seek to apply this message, we need to ask questions of the text because it's very hard to take it at face value because it's, I don't know about you, when you read that through, it's a bit overwhelming. I find it a bit overwhelming to really take in what it's saying. And so the questions we should ask, ask are, why was God judging the Edomites? What was the reason for this message to be spoken to them? What is it that then I should learn so that I can live in accordance to God and be faithful to him and trust in him in all things? One thing that is very apparent is that the Edomites were proud. They were a proud nation. And I think that in all of us, and I'm speaking to myself, pride can be the most difficult character trait, stronghold we will have to deal with because it's very sneaky. We can often practice it without too many people discovering it. We may even be proud and not even know it. And it is often the route from where we see more visible traits being birthed from, maybe traits that are not honorable to God. Now, I want to be clear. This is a message of encouragement, just to be sure. Okay, I know, I'm, I'm, I know <laughs> for many of us, it'd be like, where are you going with this, Tom? Just bear with me. This is a message of encouragement for us. It's understanding why God was bringing this message through Obadiah to the Edomites and then learning how we can be faithful to God in relationship to him. And so, like I said, we need to ask questions of the text. And so the first question that I would ask us in applying to this is, in what do we trust? Edom's pride was its downfall. You see it in verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? They were saying, without saying, but through their actions, we can live without God. We can live and fend for ourselves. We don't need God. They had their own idols, but they never bowed down before God. For us, when I look at this, thinking, what are the things that I may overly rely on? 
For me, it can be sometimes overconfidence in my talents and abilities, relying on them instead of God. The need to always be right, that's a challenge, especially in today's world, isn't it? You have points of views that are shared, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, I'm right. Maybe it's to push ourselves above those that are ahead of us, to be known in this world. We heard an amazing passage of scripture shared by Sarah in the end of our worship about relying on God and trusting in, in him and in prayer. So faithful there. But there are things that can hold us back, like the unwillingness to forgive somebody. We can allow that to be a root of pride in our heart when we don't, when we don't allow ourselves to forgive somebody. Even allowing emotions to overtake us, like hatred. These are things to let go. Allowing pride to dwell in our hearts can sometimes develop unrealistic, unrealistic views of the world we live in and, the, and even ourselves. And it's very much outside the narrative of God's best for us. He tells us to deny ourselves, doesn't he? We read that in Scripture. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He's always pointing towards a better way, but it's for us to trust in him, not trust in ourselves, not to trust in what he can give us and, and help us with, not trusting in our own abilities and saying, God, I've got this. I'm fine on my own. Even in this world, we can be obsessed with success, riches, and being the best. God says, there's more to life than this, doesn't he? There's, a, there's, an, etern there's an eternity that we're living for, that we're striving for together. In Romans 12.3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul is highlighting here the value of humility. Pride and humility cannot coexist together is seeing beyond the self to the bigger picture there's more to life than this god at the center of it all our trust and our hope is in him and him alone there are things in this world that we should enjoy god has created this world but there's more beyond this world there's an eternity with our savior and that's something to hold on to we, I think we all know this passage, Proverbs 3, from verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And then verse 7, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And I was looking into this passage of what does it mean to trust and lean on something? Trusting means to put oneself wholly at the mercy of another or something else. Leaning is to rely totally on something for support. It's like you sitting in your chairs right now. You're leaning in your chairs and it's supporting you. And it's for us, it's learning to lean on God and trust in him and rely on him solely for our support. And again, it goes back to that question, in what do we trust? Do we trust in ourselves or do we trust in God? This world, 
or God? Are we striving for material riches? Are we striving to be known, have our name in this world? Or are we trusting in him who created us, who knew our inmost being, who knew what will be our very best? Are we holding on to him above all things? See, pride can cause us to assess our lives by the standard of our accomplishments, our feelings, rather than our God-given identity. I, this was a lesson I learned when I was new to faith. Even at work, I would strive to be the best in my workplace. Look how good I am. I, got, I put these, I worked in Argus and I used to stack shelves. That the numbers facing forward, it's level with the shelf. Look how good it looks. Look how good I am. Look how well I'm stacking these shelves. Look how quickly I'm putting this cage away. It's so good. I did it, in, I put away this whole cage of like, 400 items in 20 minutes. So good. <laughs> but it's not about that. And I had to learn the value of humility. Of even if I can put away a cage of stock in 20 minutes, if somebody else was struggling to put their cage away, to not lord it over them, but to say, let me help you. We're in this together. Because the goal is bigger. It's not about how quickly I can put, the, put a cage away of stock. It's about us working together to get it all away so that it's available for our customers. I look in the Old Testament, and you look in Genesis, you see creation. God saying how he created us, created this world that we live in. And then unfortunately, have you, have you ever had that? Where I'm going off topic here. Have you ever had watched a film all the way through, and then you watch it again, and you wish it could go differently. <laughs> right? It's like watching your favorite series, and then a situation occurs, you're like, oh, no, that did, did that happen? Oh, no. And then you're, you're, like, you're so caught up in emotion, and then you watch it again, you're thinking, it's going to be different this time. They're gonna, it's, it's not going to happen that way, is it? And <laughs> it happens again. Of course it does. And it's the same when I read uh, the account of creation. I'm like, Surely Adam and Eve are not going to pick that fruit. They're not going to eat, are they? They're, not go they're going to not listen. Of course they do. And I think, why did they do that? Was it their stubbornness? Was it due to deception? Or was it maybe a little bit of pride in the heart of pushing the boundaries of what God created for the benefit of his creation, not heeding to his instruction? It takes great humility to lean on God in surrender and humility rather than go about it in our own strength. The, the nation of Israel, Israel, they were represented faith in Yahweh. They stood and lived, lived for this ideal, though we know history. We know that Israel stumbled and fooled, didn't they? They made mistakes. Yet, Regardless, they continue to come back to God. And what did God do? He was faithful to them. So long as our hope remains in God, he will be faithful to us even when we stumble. That's the, how amazing our God is. He's faithful to us. And so if there's any key to take from this first point, it's to continually lean on him, our anchor, our firm foundation, 
rather than try and do things our own way. Hold on to him. So then the next question I ask of this, of Obadiah's message is, are we on the pedestal or are we on our knees? The Edomites, they became detached from society. Verse 11 and 12, it kind of pictures this in Obadiah. On, that, on the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. The Edomites were detached from society and community. They depended on nothing else but themselves. They, were, they built their fortress, if you want to call it. They were in the mountains. They were away from society. They were away from community. And I think it's a bit of a warning for us as a church and as a people that if we're not careful, we can become detached from the very community we're called to reach out into, the very community we're meant to be a light into. We are called to be set apart. We read in scriptures how those of us who believe in God, we're like aliens in this world, right? We're set apart from this world, yet we're called to reach out into it. We're not to be in our holy bubble, but seek how best we can be the best reflection of Christ to those around us. We all remember those amazing lockdowns that we endured, don't we? Not one, not two, but three three lockdowns. And the problem with those was it, it severed God's design for us to be in relationship with each other because it caused separation, didn't it? It caused isolation. And I see this, I'm not necessarily talking about maybe us as a community, but the church in general, I think sometimes the church sometimes stand aside from community, focusing inwardly rather than outwardly. We need to bridge the gap to our community, not be separate from it. And sometimes there are these times when we have to be focused on ourselves and learn how best we can be in relationship with God. But then it's also then saying, okay, we are good as a church, center church. We are good as a church. We need to now focus on how we can reach out to our community how we can be a light to them, how we can bridge the gap, just like Christ bridged the gap when he gave his life for us so that we can have a relationship with God again. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus called the disciples together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Edomites, now they were pushed into isolation by their own self-confidence, believing life was better by themselves. For many today, life can be a solo mission. 
rather than a team effort. We are all here to do our part as community. That's, how, that's us as a church. We all have a part to play. And if we work together, we can bridge the gap to our community, shining a light of God to them. Jesus was great at giving this example to us. He did it in John 13 when he washed his disciples' feet. I can't get over that image of Jesus on his knees, going around his disciple and washing their feet. And yet, what does he tell them to do? Go and do likewise. When you look at the Edomites and Obadiah's message to them, he is correcting almost a critical spirit that was within them. They were focusing, they were letting an, a thing from their past hold them down. I'm going to be getting into this shortly. They were harboring resentment that was passed on to them by Isu, their leader, being quick to judge the flaws of others while neglecting the fact that they were flawed themselves as a nation. The beauty of God's church, you know the beauty of this, the amazing beauty of God's church, is that it is made up of flawed individuals that are united under grace. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye while all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's like Jesus had some humor, I think, in this statement, didn't he? If you think about it, I was thinking, what is an example of that, of what he was saying today? I think it's like a blind eye doctor trying to remove a cataract from his patient's eye. Right? It's impossible. We need a bond of unity and then to work together to reach out. I know I'm a flawed individual, but the grace of God covers that. So long as we're saying, yes, God, I trust in you, I lean on you, I'm here for you, he can use us. He can use a willing heart. And so the final question of Obadiah's message that I want to look at is are we seeking instant gratification or eternal fulfillment? Now the Edomites, once again, they were taking life into their own hands, weren't they? They were just looking after themselves. And Obadiah made it clear that all that had done, all that they had done in defiance of God, in rejection of God, would be done to them. Cause and effect. So you will reap what you'll sow. It's not the first time we see that statement in Scripture. There is a warning, once again, even for us. Taking our lives into our own hands is a dangerous undertaking. It is. It's making the statement that, you know what, God? I've got this. 
I've got this. You can take the sidelines. I've got this. Even when we have divine direction leading us forward, sometimes we can choose to go down our own path, walking aimlessly in the dark, convinced we're going the right way. I've got this, but I don't know where I'm going. Yet when we turn to God, God says, I've got this. Trust in me, lean on me, and I will lead you through it. That's the amazing thing about God. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. The Edomites, they were constantly harassing the nation of Israel. They had a deep-stated hatred and bitterness. And that was caused by a retelling through the generations of stories of what was a stolen blessing. This goes right back to Jacob and Esau in Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. You have this situation where Esau, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, he was a hunter, right? He was a skilled hunter. And Jacob was making some stew in a pot. And Esau had come back from hunting and he said, give me some stew. And what did Jacob say? He said, sell me your birthright and I will give you some stew. Give me your birthright and then you can have some stew. What did Esau do? He gave his birthright to Jacob, didn't he? He didn't honor that birthright. He was looking at the immediate instant gratification of what that stew would give him. I need, I'm famished, I need food, give me some food. Yet Jacob knew the value of a birthright. Now, I'm not saying that Jacob's ways of going about it were correct. He deceived his brother. He deceived him later on by getting the blessing that was meant for Esau. But he knew the value of the birthright. And like Esau, we can sometimes take life and daily situations into our own hands. Esau cared only for physical and material things, whereas Jacob valued the spiritual. Esau gave priority to the immediate satisfaction of filling his stomach with stew, but Jacob was willing to wait for something better that God had promised for the future. And I think that whole situation that we see in that passage in Genesis revealed that Esau was actually unfit to be the heir and possessor of the promised grace of God because he was looking for instant gratification, not holding on to what God had promised, which would be an eternal fulfillment. When we give our lives to God, we attain a birthright. We become heirs of the promise. Salvation, an eternal promise, right? Do we value our birthright? Do we value the fact that we are heirs of this promise? Esau played little value on his privilege as, as the firstborn son. He, he didn't value it. He was willing to trade it in without un understanding the eternal consequence of such a decision. God has given us all special promises. His presence, strength, provision, fruitfulness, glorification, reward in heaven as a result of us placing our faith in him. 
I ask myself sometimes, am I actually despising this? Am I living primarily for the present rather than living for the future? James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The broader appeal of Obadiah's message is that the kingdom is the Lord's. Final verse, the kingdom is the Lord's. He holds it all together. And so if you stand opposed to God, he will stand opposed to you. I don't want to be opposed to God. No. But he has a promise for his people. He's with his people. He is their rock. He is their strength. He is our comfort and our security. And so what we have to do is trust in him. Lean on him. Sometimes learn to let go of the things that maybe be dwelling up within us. That could be pride. Like I said at the start, maybe it's feelings of hatred towards someone. Maybe it's not being able to forgive someone. If we let it go, it will release us in what God has for us. So I just, before I close, just a couple of thoughts just to think about here. We have a requirement, don't we? Our requirement is to trust in him, to lean on God, to lean in faith rather than look to our own knowledge and our own abilities. God gives us what we need when we need it. To face what we're facing. And it's learning to surrender our own point of view. Because our point of view is limited. God's isn't. We are limited, but God isn't. And the church today could have its Edomites. Believers, you and I, maybe we have our own Edomites dwelling within us. And it's important to identify if that's the case. And in our hearts and minds, surrender that in humility. And say, God, this doesn't control me. I'm surrendering at your feet. I'm not leaning on that. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm leaning, it. I'm leaning on you who hold it all together in the palm of your hands. I'm trusting in you. Jacob valued God's promises concerning the future. Whereas Esau preferred a pot of stew that made him feel good right away, but had no lasting value. I'm not here for instant gratification. That is so tempting. I see that chocolate muffin in the, in the cafe. I'm like, that's instant gratification right there. But it, but it has no lasting value. I want to hold on to what God says in his word. Obadiah's message is a difficult one to take hold of. Like I said, it's a message of judgment towards the nation, the Edomites. But it's also an encouragement to us that if we trust in God, if we hope in God, if we lean on him, we have that, that final word, the kingdom is the Lord's. Right? And we have an inheritance in that kingdom. That's our birthright. That's the promise that we have before us. Instead of leaning on ourselves, let us lean on God. Let us hope in him. No matter what we're walking through, let's not try and take the reins. Let's surrender that and just say, God, lead me. 
Thank you for watching this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centre-church.uk.